0: Uh, have you ever had a conversation with yourself that started out um, like this why can't I just and then and then fill in the blank right um, maybe it 's in the car, maybe you just uh, had a fight with your spouse or something and and so we, we say these things to ourselves um, why can't I just stop I, I know this isn't right I know this is not good I know i shouldn 't be doing this why can't I just stop why why can't I just say the right thing they're like foot in your mouth all the time by the way that's me if you didn't know that (laughs) always uh like saying like oh that was really dumb why can't I just say the right thing why can't I just stop saying stupid things maybe that would be good um why why can't I just be why can't I just be calm or or patient or loving or happy why can't I just be normal we, we try to use the answer to that question like an excuse, but the answer to that question really is more of an explanation for why we can't, right? Why we can't stop Doing whatever it is that we don't want to be doing, that we think is 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 wrong, or or it's it's it, there's an issue or whatever, and and the explanation for why we can't is is really difficult for us. Um, we can't stop because we can't. That, that's why. <laughs> We can't stop doing those things that we know we shouldn't be doing or or saying or thinking because we just can't. You and I, and everyone else who has pretty much ever lived, we're incapable of consistently doing the right thing, saying the right thing, thinking the right thing, doing the right stuff, thinking. That just goes against our nature. Welcome to church. (laughs) <laughs> that's a little depressing, isn't it? Like, that's not, that's not what we think. Right? I think, I think our, our minds, in our minds, we, we think, I am, regardless of, of what's going on, what you're doing, what you're into, our thought is, I'm a generally good person. I generally do the right thing. Now, once in a while I mess up and I, I do something I, I shouldn't and then I go, oh, why can't I stop? But the, the answer is the explanation is you can't because you can't. Because it's not in your nature. And, and, and so our argument then is, well, if, if doing the wrong thing is just part of my nature, if doing the right thing goes against my nature, isn't God responsible for my nature? God, God created me, right? God, the Bible says God knit me together in my mother's womb. And so, isn't God responsible for that? Well, I, here's how I would answer that question we own the failure, and so we own the fault. Like, we did it. You said it. You thought it. You, you did it. Whatever it was that, that wasn't right, you knew it wasn't right before you did it, usually, and you did it anyway. And so we own those failures, and so we own the fault for that. I mean, I, we can't really like, like, just go to God and say, You made me this way. We can't really do that um, because, well, oh my goodness. Okay, you can't see this. I can. I can see. Oh, you can see. Oh, that's good. Um, I don't know. I don't know what happened there. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I hope the other ones are, are better. Anyway, it says um, God did create us, but God did not cause us to sin, and so we can't. We can't say. We can't say, God, you made me this way. He He did create us, but He didn't cause us. To sin—that—that that was all us, right? It's all me. It's all you. You, you own the failure, and so you own the fault, and and so did I. And 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 while while sin and doing the wrong thing may have started with Eve, I'm pretty sure it didn't stop with you. And and so we may we may like want to blame Eve. Well, it was all Eve's fault, but but you haven't stopped that pattern. You well now now wait a minute. I, mean, I don't want to. I don't want to just assume, I don't want to get too general, like we're in trouble in our society today when we generalize too much, and so let me just say, if you are perfect and you've never done or said or thought anything wrong, if you've never had to have that conversation with yourself that, that went, why can't I just, <laughs> whatever, um, then look, um, you're free to go. You, like, you don't need to be here. You don't need to hear this. Um, if you're watching uh, online and you're perfect and you've never done anything wrong, you can change the channel. Um, that, that's that's uh, on you. Like, that's good. I, I'm glad. But for the rest of us, um, that really is not the case. We've said things and done things and thought things that were wrong. And, and honestly, probably this morning, let's see, I've been up for... Uh, a little over four hours. Said things, done things, thought things were probably in there wrong. Shouldn't have. Now, thankfully, I, I don't think I've said anything. I'm going to have to ask the guys that helped me set up. I don't think I said anything wrong this morning, but probably thought something wrong. So we own that stuff. L- look at what Ephesians um, chapter 2 uh, says, oh, good, <laughs> that's nice. Uh, here's what here's what Paul um, says. He says, as for you, okay, and, he, and, and and what he means is he's writing to the church. He's saying, as for for you, all of you, and so we're included in the you here. So, so so us, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Now remember, he's talking to to believers now, but he's saying. This is who you used to be. You used to live there when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is is now at work in those who are disobedience. So you tracking with me so far? Before you come to Christ, before you've been changed, before you become a new creation, you followed the ways of the ruler, the uh, ways of the world, and the rulers of the kingdom of the air. Those who are disobedient still, that's the way you are living. And he says, all of us, every, everybody, everyone ever, all of us, lived among them at one time. And like them, we gratified the cravings of our flesh and we followed its desires and its thoughts. And like the rest of humanity, we were by, what's that word? Nature. We were by nature deserving of wrath. Now that's some pretty strong words that Paul uses there. And, and, and what he's saying is, look, we're all in the same boat every one of us there's not anybody who's got it figured out who's got it perfect there's not anybody who's beyond simple. like we're all in this together we're all dead in our sins we all followed the ways of the world and its rulers we all disobey we've gratified the cravings of our flesh we've followed its desires and thoughts that our flesh the desires and thoughts of our flesh and by our nature we deserve the wrath of God like this is us <laughs> You wanted to know where the message series comes from. This is us. We are by nature sinful and evil and wrong. We do the wrong things. This is why Eve ate the fruit. And Cain killed his brother. And it's why the Israelites grumbled in the wilderness. It's why David killed Bathsheba's husband. And why Jezebel murdered the prophets. And why God's people withheld their tithes and offerings. It's why the religious leaders hated Jesus so much they nailed him to a cross. It's why Saul hunted and killed the very first Christian. It's why you and I do and think and say the things we do. Because we are, by nature, deserving of wrath. Because we do the wrong things and say the wrong things and think the wrong things because it's a part of who we are. It's a part of our nature. And so we have this huge problem, right? Like if God is perfect and you and I by nature are deserving of wrath. So we have this huge problem and this huge problem we give this really small word that a lot of us just kind of pretend like it maybe exists and maybe doesn't exist. But this huge problem and we just call it sin, and when we do something wrong, we do something we know we shouldn't do or say or think, and we just go, well, that's, that's sin. Well, that's sin in me, or that's sin, and we blame Satan, and we, we blame um, whatever else. And, and, and so that's, you know, we kind of separate ourselves from this thing. And the word um, sin, you look at it in the Bible, the, the word, what it ex- originally meant, what it means today in original language is to miss the mark. And and so we're aiming maybe to be to be perfect, to be like Jesus, to, to to love completely, to love God, to love others, and we miss the mark, and that is um that means sin. And and so let me um just give you this. A sin is the word we use to describe things we choose to do that are contrary to the will and ways of God. So when we talk about sin and and, and what that means or what it is. It's the things that we choose to do that are contrary to the will and the, and the ways of God. We know that God has a way for us to live. We know that certain things are part of his will, right? And a part. He has will for marriage. He has will for relationships. He has will for um, child rearing. He has will for how you function in, in your life and your job and with your employer and how the church works together and, and how the church reaches out. Like he's got this, this will and, and these ways of doing things for everything that we deal with in our life and everything that we go through in our life. And when we miss that mark, then, then we sin. When we choose to do things against the will and way of God that we, we sin. And, and so I want you to think of it this way. Um, this way. This way. This way. I want you to think vertical instead of horizontal. So um, th- I just came up with this, okay, and it's kind of corny, but I, but I hope it sticks with you. Um, so this is an acronym for w- what we've talked about, what we read in, in, in Ephesians, okay? The S stands for selfish. The I stands for in. And the N is nature. So when you think of sin... I want you to think of this. The, the sin is selfish in nature. I am selfish in my nature, and that's called sin. And we can go all the way back to the beginning and, and, and look at Eve. What what was the what was the sin? What was a thing that she chose to do that was contrary to the will and way of God. What what was it? She was selfish. So the, the snake came and he said, he said, look, you won't die if you eat this fruit. But what will happen is you will know good and evil. And she was like, ooh, I can decide what's good and evil for myself. Selfishness. And She was selfish in her nature and so she chose that. So, so look, Romans 3.23 says that we have all sinned. We're all selfish in our nature, and so we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory or the perfection, the holiness of God. Nobody's made it yet. Nobody's perfect yet. Nobody's reached that level. Nobody's jumped over that mark. We haven't, and we can't do it because it's against, it's contrary to our, our nature. And so from Eve to everyone, we've blown it. We haven't been able to do what we were supposed to, to think the right things, to say the right things, and do the right things. And, and because we're obsessed with self, this selfishness that's inside, because we're obsessed with self in our heart, we even try to make the Bible about me. And so when we read the Bible, we read it with ourselves kind of like as the star. And so we're reading things in the Bible, and, and, and what do we do? We highlight the promises, and we go, oh, that prom- that's for me. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes, m- maybe it is. I mean, Maybe that's kind of a word from God for, for you for that day, that week, that month, that year, whatever. And, that, and that's good. I'm, I'm happy for you. But sometimes God's just talking to the Israelite people. Or to Jeremiah or Isaiah or, or somebody else. And he's talking to them about a specific thing at a specific time for a specific reason. and, and, and But we read the Bible and we read that and we go, ooh, I'm going to claim that. That's for me. So we put ourselves at the center of, of the Bible. And look, preachers, myself, I'm, I'm kind of guilty of the perpetua- I guess God was unhappy. Somebody, okay, sorry. God, (laughs) off track. Okay, so I've perpetuated this. I've said these things um, before in church. Um, Something to the effect of this. Look, if you were the only person alive, God would have still sent his son to to die on the cross for you. Now, that makes us feel warm and fuzzy inside, right? And we go, oh, man, Um, I must be really important (laughs) God really loved me a lot. And the reason I, the reason preachers say this is because we're trying to convey the overwhelming love that God has for you. That he would give his son to die for you and that even if you were the only one on the planet separated from God, he would still do everything in his power to bring you into to partnership with him. But sometimes when we say that and when you hear it over and over again, you begin to to think that um, well, maybe um, I'm God's favorite because we're selfish in nature. And so when we hear those things, we begin to go like, well, maybe I am that important. Maybe I am worth that much to God. And so we get these ideas, and, and, and pardon me, I'm, I'm sorry uh, uh, about this, um, but we get these ideas that like God's heaven can't be perfect unless I or somebody that I love is there. And and, and so we, we kind of get these ideas sometimes that we go, well, man, God was lonely in, in heaven, and he just, he needed this person to be with him to like, uh, just like, you know, like sometimes um, if you need a Snickers bar, like God's just in heaven. and He's like, look, I need this this person, I need mean this Snickers bar to just make heaven good and, and perfect. If I just had him or her with me, man, I'd be okay for a while. And so we, we reduce God to this, to this person that just needs a fix, like I need a new Apple product or whatever to feel good for a little while. And so we go, man, God needed to feel good for a little bit, and so he took this person that I love to be in heaven with him, to be at home with him so that he could be like, whoo, we just take a breath a little bit. This sentiment that we're God's favorite, like it points us in another false direction. And so we say, if, if Jesus came just to save me, then I'm the star of his story. And so we think, like, Jesus um, came for me to pay for my sin, to forgive me of every bit of selfishness in my life, past, present, and, and future. And so kind of the logical way to go next, the next step is... Um, if this is all true, then um, look, it doesn't matter what I do, because Jesus already died for it. Like, he loves me so much, his existence isn't complete without me, therefore I can do what I want because Jesus already paid for my sin, he already paid my price, he already he paid for my selfishness, and, and so I do what I want. Let me give you a scenario. Let me paint a little picture for you. Could you imagine, even for a, a, a moment, going to God, like seeing God and being with Him in person? And you go to God and you're just like, Look, God, um, dude, I, I, I know, like you would call God, dude. I, I don't know, maybe. Um, like, look, God, I, I know that, that you don't want me to do this thing that I want to do. Right? I, I know that, that it's against your will, it's against your way. Um, but I really want to do it. <laughs> and, and so I just want you, God, I just want you to remember while I go and do this thing that you don't want me to do, I just want you to remember when your bloody, perfect, beaten, sinless son hung on the cross until he died. While a whole bunch of self-righteous people spit on him and called him names and, 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 and teased him about you, know, you saving him, keeping him from from death God I just want you to um to t- to think about um that because because that scenario that scene God when your son died and it was terrible that that was for me he did that all for me so that I could do what I want can we like even imagine saying that to to God, God I mean that's that's crazy. But if I'm the star of God's story, I can do what I want. You already paid the price for my sin. I don't have to worry about that anymore. And so, uh, and so this is what we're saying to God when we act like that. We're just saying, God, I don't care about what your son went through on the cross to pay for this sin nature that I have I don't care about that all I care about is doing what I want to do and so like I just can't imagine that any of us would even consider saying something that like that to God but we act like it's true sin is a big problem for us but it's not for God God And it's certainly not the point of his story. See, when God created the world and everything in it, he already knew exactly what his creation called humanity, represented by Adam and Eve in the beginning. He already knew what humanity would do. And so from the beginning, from the foundations of the universe, when they were laid, like in the beginning, you go to Bible Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, we're talking about that time and before when the foundations of the universe were laid, God had a plan, and it was to make his humanity holy and blameless in his sight, or based on his standard. And, and what's God's standard? It's perfection so I think it was Ephesians um, 1 uh, 4 yeah that talks about that that since the foundations of the world God has had this this plan and so God's plan was to be in an eternal and perfect partnership with his most prized creation people And we we see that when you go back to Genesis, the first three chapters of Genesis, the first two chapters of Genesis, when God creates the world, this perfect and unique place in the universe, and then he he plants these two people. He like grows them out of the dirt, and he has a relationship with them. And And I love the passage in Genesis that says, in the cool of the day, God would walk with Adam and Eve. And he talk about their day and, and, and what was going on. We're going to talk about this more in, in a minute, but there's this, there's this place, this physical place, that God and humanity existed together in complete and perfect unity. And so God's plan was to be in that place eternally, forever, in a perfect partnership with his most prized creation, you and, and I, people. And so in the garden, it was perfect. God and humanity, Adam and Eve, worked together to cultivate, to create a beautiful place to live. And so we see this relationship building between God and Adam and Eve where God recreates the days of creation in Genesis chapter 2 so that Adam can see it. And so Adam understands without a doubt that this is God, like this is the creator, the one who made everything because I just saw him like point and speak and a tree popped up or an animal or, or whatever. And, and then God, like he, he lets Adam see all this stuff and, and then he says, okay, Adam, um, I want you to give each of these animals that I've created, I want you to give them a name And so he passed on some of that responsibility of not just naming, but caring for his creation to Adam and and Eve. And and, and he was there with them walking and and talking. Creator and creation existed in perfect unity in this physical place, in the physical world called the garden. But we blew that arrangement, right? Right? Like, like we, we pulled the pin and like, boom, there, there, there it goes. It was, it was over. As soon as Eve and Adam selfishly chose to make their own rules, and, and, and the scripture specifically says that they wanted to determine good and evil for themselves. They wanted to, to set the rules. They wanted to say this is okay and this is not okay. I'm, like a follow, I'm trying to follow in God's rules. And, and, and by the way, don't we do that like every day? We, we go, God, I, I know this isn't your will or way, but I want to choose to do this, say this, watch this, hear this. And, and so we're, we're Eve. And so they wanted to determine good and evil for themselves. And because of that, because of that sin in their nature, that selfishness in their nature, they had to leave the physical garden. That was the partnership agreement, right? As long as you follow my will and way, we'll live in this perfect partnership together, God and humanity. But when you break your part of that agreement, you got to go. Like you can't, like I'm perfect God. I have a standard. And if you fall below that, like you can't be in my presence anymore. If you eat that fruit, the eternal perfect partnership between God and humanity, it's forfeit. And ever since then, God has continued working his plan to once again be in eternal and perfect partnership with people. So the very beginning, that's what God has desired. And and so when you look at the Bible, it's not about you. You're not the star of the story. What we see in the Bible is God's plan unfolding to reestablish this perfect partnership with his creation. And So he's prepared us for this partnership through what he called covenants. Now, covenants are interesting things in the Bible. They're agreements, and we might think of them like um, contracts, but a contract is different. If you don't live up to your part of the contract, then I don't have to live up to my part of the contract. And and covenants are a little different. God makes promises in a covenant. Here's what I'm going to do. Now, some of those promises are dependent upon you, following through with your commitments and some of those covenants are or promises are are not dependent on what you do okay so so let's look at some of these the old testament there are about four specific covenants and there's some others in there but they're really just restatements of um i think the second covenant and and so um And so there are about four major covenants. Let's look at those real quick. The first one is um, Noah in Genesis chapter 9, and and that's all in the message notes if you want to go there. Um, This one is interesting because God made a promise with Noah and with everything in existence, all of the animals and the plants and everything in his world, he made this covenant with. And, And his covenant was this. Here's God's promise. I will never again destroy the earth by flood. And to help you remember my promise to you, humanity and creation, I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky. And every time you see that, it's to remind you that I am fulfilling and I remember my promise. And you know what the commitment for Noah and everybody was? Absolutely nothing. God put no commitments on Noah or humanity. after He simply said... I'm going to enter into a covenant with you. I'm going to shake your hand. We're going to make this so. But I'm going to do everything and I'm going to bring everything and you got to do nothing. In fact, when you look at the text, you, you, you look at what happens. is God recognized that everybody was evil in their heart, in their nature, all of the time. And He still makes this incredible promise that I'm never going to flood the earth again regardless of what you do. The second uh, covenant is the uh, Abraham covenant in Genesis chapter 17. Now, this one had promises, but it also had commitments. In this covenant, God promised to bless Abraham, to make him into a great nation of people. Remember, so many uh, children that you won't be able to count them, like the sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky. I'm gonna, he's going to bless his family. He's going to make his name great. Um, in fact, I think it's Abraham. He says, uh, anybody who blesses you, I'll bless, and anybody who curses you, I'll curse. So God's like, Abraham, I got your back, dude. Like, whatever happens, whatever you're into, whatever goes on, somebody blesses you, man, I'm right there. I'm blessing them. I'm giving them stuff. I'm all in. Um, and it, but if they curse you, then I'm like, I'm, you know, God, he's stacked, right? And so he's just going to like demolish them. Like he's there. He, he's, the, he's the buddy. He's the wingman. He's got it. But then he says, Abraham, you, you've got to, to make some commitments here. And so he says, Abraham, you have to walk, um, i want to get this right, faithfully and blamelessly before God. And he says, if you do that, then the whole world will be blessed through you. Now, that's pretty important, so just re- remember that. So um, how long did it take Abraham? Uh, how long was he able to walk faithfully and blamelessly before God? Yeah, about that long it didn't take long at all remember why because abraham like everybody else is selfish in his nature and and so he he blew it and so god makes a, a third covenant um, with the nation of Israel and, and this is when Moses brings them out of, of Egypt right God leads them out the ten plagues and they get to the desert in the mountain of Sinai and, and, and they're there at the mountain and the whole nation of Israel is there and God presents himself like a um, like a flaming furnace like a huge ball of fire on the top of the mountain and the people are so scared because they're seeing this they're watching this they're watching Moses like walk up the mountain into this fire pit and and they're. They're they're freaked out. And and they can hear, it's really cool if you read this story. Um, they they're they're there at the mountain, they've consecrated themselves, they're standing at the foot of the mountain. Moses walks up and he talks to God. And for a while, maybe the first day, I don't really know, the people are listening to God talk to Moses in this ball of fire at the top of this um hill. They 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 hear God talking. And when Moses comes down, you know what they say? They don't go, man, that was awesome. Like we always think, man, if God would just come down and tell me what it is that I need to do or what he wants me to do, that would be great. D- you know what they did when Moses came down? They, they were like, Moses, d- come here. Um, we can't handle this. <laughs> like that, God, that's, that's, t- that's too much. We, we're, we don't, we're not, we can't d- do it. So, so here's what we're gonna do tomorrow. We're gonna stay in our tents, and you go up the mountain, and and you talk to God. We don't we don't want to hear God anymore. We don't want to talk to God. Like you be our representative, and you go up there. Um. So, so what happened? <laughs> this is why. Look, the, the covenant with the nation of Israel is five chapters. <laughs> there's a big there's a big one, right? They're like God, uh, Moses. You we can't hear it. You know what happens the next time Moses goes up the mountain? they build a calf to represent their God and they bow down and worship it and then they, got, they do all kinds of sexually immoral things in front of this calf and they're having this party and Moses comes down the mountain right and he sees them and he breaks the Ten Commandments. He's so angry at what's going on. Like they couldn't, like, like one day, you couldn't even last one. To, this is ridiculous. That sin, selfishness in our nature, it causes us to do things that, that are not part of God's will and, and, and God's way. So God gives, uh, I gotta hurry, God gives the nation of Israel 603 commitments that they're supposed to make, laws that they're supposed to follow. And he says, if you follow these laws, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. I'll bless you. I'll make you into a great nation. This will be good. Everything you do will prosper. Um, You'll be the the pinnacle of of nations. And, And again, important, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. In fact, he goes on to say, each and every person in this nation will be a priest of mine. And your job, your role, your purpose will be as a nation of priests, your role will be to represent me to the nations of the world so that all of the nations of the world might come and be a part of Israel and, and, and worship God alone. That, that was God's plan when He made this covenant with, with Israel. That's why He had all these rules and laws because if you're going to be priest, if you're going to follow me, you got to say and do and think the right things. But they're selfish in their nature, just like us, and so they they blew it. So God had promises, they had commitments, they, they blew it. Some of those promises God kept, right? So I'm gonna do this regardless of what you do. But some of he didn't. Some of those promises were he said, Look, if you follow me and do what I want you to, to do, I'll bless you. But if you don't, I'll discipline you by sending you into exile where you will be overtaken by your enemies. And so that's what happened. He kept his promise, right? And then he makes a fourth covenant with an individual once again, and that's King David in 2 Samuel 7. And so God comes to King David through the prophet, and, and, and he, says, um, he says, look, David, here, here's what's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to bless you like I did Abraham, and I'm going to make your name great. But specifically, I'm going to make sure that from your bloodline, you have a king to sit on the throne of Israel Forever. So, and, and like, if you're king, right, if the Bible story is about us, what do we want? We want our line, our lineage, our family to be the A, number one, top, ever, everybody has to worship, like, we're, like my, me and my family, we're the best. And, and so God says to, to David, if you worship me and you follow me and you keep my commands, I will make sure that you never Cease to have a son on the throne of Israel. But they couldn't keep that command. And so they, they failed. Um, in fact, in 2 Chronicles 6.16, Solomon actually says the, 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 the commitment that we made, that David made, was that we would walk like Abraham, walk faithfully with God, and we couldn't do it. They failed. So in the rest of the Old Testament, we've we've dealt Genesis, that's one book, Exodus, 2 Samuel. So three books, uh, history books in the Old Testament. The rest of the Old Testament, you learn two very important pieces of information. Number one, Abraham, Israel, and David all failed miserably to live up to their commitments. They might have done good for a bit, and then they blew it, and then they did good for it, and then they blew it. But secondly... We also learn in the rest of the Old Testament that there will come a day when God will extend a new covenant, an everlasting covenant with his people through which all the commitments of those other four covenants, all of those commitments of those covenants would be met. So somehow God's going to create a new covenant that's going to fulfill all the old covenants And then start a new relationship between God and his people. A new covenant between God and his people. And the the prophet Jeremiah speaks about this. Um, Here's what he says. Behold, the days are coming. This is the Old Testament still. Declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Now this is still, this is way Old Testament, right? In fact, if people are in exile, like this is a bad time for Israel. And and here's what God is speaking into that. I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Israel. Judah that's important because Jesus comes from Judah not like it won't be like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt we talked about that he says my covenant that's the covenant that they broke right they haven't lived up they didn't live up to their commitments but I will um though i was their husband so what he's saying is there i was faithful i did what i was supposed to do i protected provided uh cared for them but they broke it they uh walked away this is the covenant he says i will make with the house of israel after those days just keep that in your mind like highlight that in your mind i will put my law within them i will write it on their hearts I will be their God, they will be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will, this is important, I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now that is a new covenant. But God's saying all of those sins, all those things that you've done, all that selfishness in your nature, I'm going to forgive that. that." This new covenant will have the same outcome that was promised with the old covenants. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. But it will come about not because the people obeyed a list of laws and commands that they were to do, but it it would happen and it would come about by the way they were to be and in this new covenant god would forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more and and that's that's huge right i mean that's that that's like this enormous thing in the old testament god didn't forget anybody's sin he just pushed it back he just like he was like, yeah, I remember you did that, but I'm just I'm going to reserve judgment for that. And So he kind of pushed it back. So God was like keeping a ticker tape of everything, you know, like when your picture showed up on the screen and God was watching that big monitor, and like the ticker at the bottom would just be every sin and thought and thing and whatever that was to go on and on. I have to go really fast. God can see quickly. Uh, uh, and so all of those sins are, are there. But he says, I'm not going to remember their sin anymore. And people can once again be in God's presence. Now let me just throw this out there because you know a lot of you are married. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could forgive a sin and not remember it? <laughs> my dad used to say, whenever uh, he and mom got in an argument, she always got historical. She'd bring up all of that old stuff. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if, if we could forgive somebody for something and then forget that it ever happened? That's amazing. But, but I want to I I look at, at what he says. Um, he says, um, the, this covenant will, will be made with the house of Israel after those days. And I, I was thinking about, what, is, what does he mean by those days? So here's what I, what I think. After the days when the people disobeyed. So he's saying, look, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. But that new covenant isn't going to take place. It's not going to be instituted or started until after the days when the people disobey. So th- there's a point where God's going to go, I'm going to like put a marker in time right here. And, and this is those days and this is the new days and it's something different here. So the question is, are, are people going to just magically stop disobeying? No, because we're sinful in our nature. But the commitments God required from the people when he established the covenants, he says those things will be fulfilled. And if the covenant is fulfilled, then he can move forward without remember anything, remembering anything. The people wouldn't be in arrears or owe God anymore once the sin of disobedience in regards to the covenants is paid for. It would be open It would open a way for God to do something brand new. So so here's what God does. He makes these covenants and then for hundreds of years, like 600 or or more years, the people of Israel blew it. They couldn't couldn't live up to their commitments. They couldn't do what they were supposed to do. They continued to fail. They they didn't follow the will or the way of God and the things they thought, the things they said, the things they did. They kept uh, blowing it. And, and God's response to their failure was not to just wipe them off the planet. Remember, remember what Ephesians said, we are by nature deserving of God's wrath. But, but God at the end, he doesn't just destroy them. Instead, he says, you know what I'm going to do? Even though you cannot do what you're supposed to, I'm going to double down on my blessing. I'm going to make even more promises to you. It's obvious that you can't follow and you can't do what you're you're told. You deserve to be destroyed, but instead I'm going to bless you even more. And it won't be easy for me, but I'm going to make a way to forgive your sin to the point that I won't remember it anymore. Wow! So God is going to do something new and incredible, but first... He's going to write all the past wrongs. And he's going to do that in two forms. He says here that he's going to put his law inside his people. Before he wrote it on tablets of stone, right? But now he's saying, I'm going to put my law inside of the people and I'm going to write them on their hearts. Now, last week I mentioned the Shema, the Jewish um, Shema. It was the most important command of God. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your your strength, right? And so Jesus was asked, what's the first biggest commandments? That's what he he said. But I want to look at the next couple verses um, really quickly. He says, um, these commandments that I give you today are to beware. On your heart. Did, didn't we hear that in, in Jeremiah? And you're to impress them onto children. You're to talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your, on your foreheads. So here's what the Jewish people did because they read this. They were like, ooh, We're supposed to uh, bind the Word of God on our hands and our foreheads. So they got uh, strips of leather or material, and they made these elaborate little boxes, and they would scribble out uh, a a passage of Scripture. Maybe Deuteronomy 6, maybe the Shema. They would scribble that out on a little piece of paper, whatever they had. I don't know, maybe it was a stone. I don't don't know, but they would write it out somehow. And they would fold it up and they would put it in this box that they would then tie to the back of their hand. Or or they would put it in a larger box that they would tie to their forehead. And so as they walked around, they'd have these boxes on their hands and their foreheads. But they still didn't obey the law. They had the law written on, the, on their hands and their foreheads. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then they would, they would commit injustice and they would oppress people and they would, they would not be loving to people. And so they followed the letter of the law, but they didn't obey its intent. And so they basically said, ah, the story is about me. So, so we would understand this to mean keep the commands. You see the back of your hands all the time when you're working and you're, you're doing things, right? When you look at somebody else, what do you look at? You see their face and specifically their forehead. If you were in Jewish culture, the way that they dressed, you would see their face and you could see that. And so God's word was, was um, figuratively on their hands and foreheads because you saw it everywhere you went and everything you did. As a parent, you would tell your kids about it when you're driving in the car on the way to church or to the grocery store or whatever. Something happens and you would go, um, look, you'd see somebody. You'd go, look, God tells us to love others like we love him. And so we're going to do this for this person. So when people heard Jeremiah talk about placing the, 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 the law, he'd place it in their hearts. He would write it on their hearts and would place it inside them. They immediately went back to this. They knew exactly what he was talking about. And they were saying, I wouldn't have to have the law of God on the outside. It would be able to be inside. So we started talking off this morning about the sin and selfishness and how sin ended the partnership that existed between heaven and earth, God and his people in the beginning. And throughout history, people never could live up to their commitments, even when God was completely faithful to his promises, even when God did everything that he was supposed to do, and the reason we haven't been able to stop sinning is because we have a heart problem. We're selfish, deep inside. Jeremiah 17, 9, in fact, says, says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. That, that's why I tell you, don't listen to your heart. Your heart will deceive you every time. Stop! Think a little bit. Go back to God's Word and go, should I do this or not? Regardless of what I feel. So God has to deal with our heart problem, with our selfishness. And he told Jeremiah that the way he was going to do that was that he was going to change people from the inside out. Not from the outside in, which is all the other co- uh, covenants had been like that. Do what I want you to do and then I'll fulfill my, my promises. So I'm going to leave you um, hanging a little bit today. But I I want to tease next week, just for a moment. So we've seen all this stuff about uh, covenants and our our selfishness, and our our sin problem. And I want to go to Mark um, chapter 1, verse 1. Mark starts out his um, narrative of God, his story of the life of Jesus by saying this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. The Son of God. The beginning of the good news. The word "good news." The two words "good news" are a literal translation of the word "gospel," which means good news. And it's good news about the person of Jesus, who Mark says is the Messiah. Now, the Hebrew word for Messiah is exactly the same word as the Greek word Christ. So, when when we read Jesus Christ, you can substitute Jesus Messiah. They both mean the same thing, the anointed one, or um, more precisely, the anointed one of God. What did God promise Abraham and Israel and David? He promised them that the whole world would be blessed through them, and that a king would come from the line of David, through the line of Abraham, that would rule forever. And all the people of the world would come to know him, would come to know God through his people. And we talked about that in the terms of the nation of Israel, the kingdom of priests, remember, and all the nations are going to come to you. This is why I say that it's not about you. It's about God, right? Galatians chapter 3 verse 7 tells us that those who have faith are the children of Abraham. Do you understand what that means? All the covenants that God made with the people of, of Israel with Abraham to to bless them and to watch over them and and to bless the whole world through them and then to Israel as a nation and then to King David. All of those covenants that God made, He was not making with the blood, the line, the bloodline of the people of Israel. He was making those covenants and those promises ultimately for the bloodline of Christ. Those people who would believe in Jesus and be a part, be adopted, be grafted in to the nation of Israel. And so when we go to Revelation, we read, what, a new heaven and a new earth, right? And they're brought into this perfect unity, like in the garden, God with his people in perfect partnership. What does he say? He says, a new Jerusalem will come down from heaven. In the nation of Israel, but guess what? The nation of Israel is going to be made up by every person who believes in Jesus. A new Israel in faith, not necessarily family. So let me end with this. The Bible is not about my problem. It's not about my selfishness in, in my nature. The Bible's about God's plan. And, and so when you read it, you gotta read it like, like God is unfolding this incredible plan that He has to bring His people into perfect partnership with Himself. And, and, and it's this, it's beautiful <laughs> to see all of the ends. and I mean we've scratched the surface about what all of this this means, And so next week, um, part two of This Is Us series, we're going to look at, um, at what this means for us a, a, a little more by looking at what the gospel is, the good news. And we're going to start in Mark chapter, chapter one, and, and we're going to look, what is the good news, this good news about Jesus? What is it, and how do we apply it, and how do we work it into our lives? And, and so, um, look, don't miss it. Gonna be good. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us and for all that you give to us and, and your incredible. And thank you for this amazing, astounding plan that you have given us to, 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 to be people of faith and to be part of your family through our faith in your Son Jesus for adopting us so that all the promises of Israel can be ours in in Jesus. That's why the New Testament says all of the promises of God are yes in Jesus because in Jesus, he fulfilled all of those covenants. He lived up. He restored the covenant to Abraham and to Israel and to David because he was perfect and he never failed and he didn't have that selfishness in his nature. And so he was able to fulfill all the commitments, to reinstitute or reinstate all of the covenants in the Old Testament so that they were all met so that on that beautiful foundation you could issue a new covenant in his blood and you'd extend your welcome into partnership to every person on the planet. And, And so God, we just thank you for that. As we read your word, would it come to life for us as we see it not through the lens of what you're going to give to me, but what you are doing through me for every other person. Um, And and so God, just be with us uh, this week, the people of the covenant of God, and, and, uh, and let us look more like your son Jesus every day. It's in his name we pray.